Welcome to another chapter of In the Keep. I'm your very own prophet of the drowned god, the Motherload, and this show is all about the world of first-person shooters, their legacies, their lineage, and the people who keep that world turning. It is the will of the drowned god, Katala, that we band together to frag and jib one another into oblivion for all eternity. Welcome to episode number 30. A very special one, uh, but before we get into the episode itself, we do have to talk a little bit, uh, say thank yous and all that stuff. So, first of all, uh, thank you to all of our supporters, which is a growing list of people. We got Dots, Moose, Paul, Zach, Alexander, Lashaka, Jeffrey, Larissa, Brad, Nabe, and Steve. All of you guys are fucking awesome. Every single one of you. Uh, these are all people who have financially supported the keep and in big ways, either by uh, donating through our PayPal slash credit card link or becoming a patron on Patreon or uh, in, in Steve's case, buying a shitload of stuff on Amazon, like a lot, a lot of stuff on Amazon and just uh, didn't cost him anything extra, but through our affiliate link, uh, just a large percentage of what he bought in his big order uh, came to us and is going to help out tremendously with uh, keeping the lights on here. So thank you to each and every one of you guys. You guys are all awesome. And uh, if you would like to be featured on that list, you can do so by uh, any of the ways that I just mentioned them doing. Um, You can also uh, buy yourself an In The Keep t-shirt or coffee mug or picture, poster, uh, whatever I don't know, uh, tapestry with our logo on it because uh, it's over on our Redbubble store, and you can do that. And we'll we'll try to update and maybe like favorite album arts or something like that from the different episodes we've done. Maybe even try to get uh, Human Bones to do some Doom is Dead stuff. But yeah, that that store will hopefully expand and grow. Um, but speaking of T-shirts, you know you can buy the the ready to order. Redbubble stuff now, but if you do become a supporter on Patreon, you will get a free t-shirt when we do the batch order, which will be sometime pretty soon. Uh, Considering the amount of growth we've got in the financial support, I think we'll be covering that fairly easily in the very near future, so keep your eyes out for that. It is worth mentioning that any and all uh, financial support that the Keep receives goes towards our events and our production and also into that t-shirt order that I just mentioned. So again, that's all going right back into the community. So thank you so much to everyone who's done that. In the keep today is brought to you by rocket jump zone. Uh, I want to shout these guys out because they're freaking awesome. Uh, if you're into quake champions and you are looking for events, you've come no further. Uh, rocket jump zone weekly quake champions tournaments for EU and in a unleash your competitive spirit and join the upcoming event below, which is, uh, I think what they're doing right now is a sacrifice cup. So yeah, definitely go check them out at rocketjump.zone. It's a really cool website handle. I wish I thought of that. And the keep is also brought to you by quakefans.net, your home for arena and hero first person shooters and classic FPS games. And if you like the keep, you will like quakefans.net. You should go check it out. Quakefans.net. All right. 
definitely go over and check out inthekeep.com if you want to find the links to, for instance, okay, let's say you're watching this video on Amazon, like you're listening to the podcast via video on Amazon, you're looking at the artwork, it's beautiful, and you're just sitting there in front of your computer screen or whatever it is that you're doing. Uh, But you're like, uh, man, I'd prefer to be listening to this on Spotify or iTunes or Stitcher or something like that. Um, you can, all you have to do is go over to inthekeep.com and just uh, pick the podcast directory that you prefer and subscribe right there. RSS feed direct to you. No problem. Uh, you can do that. I recommend that you check out the whole catalog if you're new to the show, because like, Hey, first of all, if you're new to in the keep, um, welcome. I'm glad to have you here. And yeah, you can go back through the catalog and see all the crazy stuff that we've done because we've had a lot of really awesome interviews on this show and grown a lot uh, over the past year. So check them out. Uh, For instance, there's like, if you're a Quake World fan, we've got Quake World pros. Uh, We've had a couple of Quake Champions pros. We've had uh, musicians. We've had people from all sorts of different games within the uh, first-person shooter genre or like people who have influenced the genre in some way. Uh, lots of Doom content if you're into that. I just, I don't know, man. I, I feel like I need to constantly try to like welcome in the new people as the show grows. So I'm going to do that uh, a little bit from time to time. I hope that doesn't annoy everybody and let me know if it uh, gets too crazy. But what else was on the docket? Oh, yeah. If you go to that website and you do uh, end up joining our Discord, The Keep, we are looking for people to boost the server. Uh, so, like, let's say you're a Nitro subscriber on Discord, and you're like, huh, I don't have any servers that I want to boost. Uh, well, if we get two boosts, or, you know, whatever it is, I think each one, like, one person, each one person gets to do up to two boosts. So, like, if two people boost it once, or if one person boosts it twice, or whatever, uh, it will increase the audio quality that we get when we do record a lot of the podcast through Discord. So, um, that's a huge help if you want to support in that way. We'd really appreciate that. And that actually doesn't cost you anything extra if you already have a uh, Nitro subscription. So, think about doing that. I don't think I have any more, uh, docket shit i don't think i have anything else to uh advertise so whatever done with that we are joined today by the man the myth the legend the the mighty dave Szymanski, the the man behind the prolific game dusk and as you know i'm a huge fan of it the keep has for a long time been big supporters of dusk we've had uh, Seaspool, when there, there was the duels at dusk going on, he was like kind of the pro player on the scene. Uh, you know, Brand Flakes, who does a lot of work with the keep, and you know, like if you're using timestamps to skip past me saying things, uh, you can thank her for that. Everything about the, the dusk is such an integral part of what we do here, and I'm very proud to present to you this conversation that I had with Dave because we spent a long time. He was very generous with his time uh, to us. We got about maybe an hour, hour and 20 minutes of uh, material here. So, you know, take it in small chunks if you need to or whatever. But if you just want to blast with the whole thing, I definitely recommend you do. It's awesome. He was so cool. We talked about so many different types of things. Like we talked about uh, QuakeCon and just how he got involved with new blood and the whole like the creative journey of dusk and you know like the lovecraft lore some algernon blackwood 
I think got brought up at some point. He talks about his musicianship, which is, I'll let him speak for himself in that regard, but it's really, really interesting stuff, man. And just some of the new projects that they're working on over at New Blood, uh, like Maximum Action and everything, we'll get into that too. So I hope you enjoy it. The music that you're about to hear is by Igrak Simon, who uh, made this track specifically about Dusk, and he makes a lot of his tracks about Dusk, so I thought it was only appropriate to throw it in here. Please enjoy it, and when it's over, we'll be in the keep with David Samantha. David Szymanski. I'm a game developer. I made Dusk. That's probably the reason anyone would know me. Um, and yeah, that's the, about all there is about me that's interesting. Well, we're going to find that out. I uh, When I saw you at QuakeCon, I mistook you and Steve for each other, and that was really <laughs> fun. I couldn't have been more embarrassed when I like walked up to Steve and I was just like, yo man, Dave Szymanski, nice to meet you, dude. And I shook his hand and he was just like smiling, grinning at me. And he's like, yeah, I'm Steve. <laughs> <laughs> I but, mean, it's a fair mistake to make. We do look sort of similar. Yeah, man. Now I love like, he's awesome. I had really fucking fun time hanging out with him and Steve. Everything. Yes. Yeah. Right. He, he got wasted, dude. He was oh, having a great time. Everybody. <laughs> sounds believable. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I kind of wanted to start off talking about kind of that whole experience. Cause like uh, when I watch, I, I we're going to talk about dusk and everything, but I do want to talk a bit about new blood just in general, because you guys seem like a real serious brotherhood going on. Like just watching you guys kind of interact in the way that you do things. <laughs> we're a thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's weird. It's not like a, cause everybody kind of has it in their mind when they think of like a game company or any, you know, company with a CEO. You're like, oh, this is, you know, dudes in suits and you guys are like a bunch of like, you know, just normal dudes, misfit toys hanging about, getting getting drunk and just having a good time and everything. And I realized that was QuakeCon, but what's the dynamic within New Blood and how do you guys do business? Um, Chaotic, I'd say. Uh, it's it's a really weird um, it's a it's a really weird setup because we're kind of Dave describes it as um. Dave's way of describing us is a bunch of friends who make games, which I guess is sort of accurate, um, but it's also very vague. Yeah. Um, so we are New Blood is, I guess, labeled a publisher, but we're kind of not a traditional publisher in that um, our version of publishing a game is sort of like what, assimilating someone into our into our group. And we all start kind of working on that game and helping that game to be finished and stuff. Uh, whereas usually what a publishing relationship means is that you get 
usually usually a usually a, an advance in cash or something like that and in exchange for well you know you making the game and them getting a percent of it and um in our case it's that you know that still happens there's still like percentages involved but um we like we have guys who QA stuff um we have guys who do programming support um we kind of get involved with just you know every part of the game and that really came to be uh as dusk was being developed like new blood when i signed was oh i don't like i don't even think any of the original people who were quote part of new blood um are still around anymore it was basically just dave uh dave and some of his friends and then as dusk was being developed we well actually uh it was the first let's see first QuakeCon or PAX? I think it was the first PAX. Or maybe the second QuakeCon. I don't remember. One of those um, one of those conventions, a couple of fans showed up and they were they they were like the first guys that we ended up hiring as part of New Blood. Um, Scott Scott was sort of one of the first guys because I was starting work on Duskworld and I was just like way in over my head. And I knew that he uh, had done Unity stuff, and so and he was a Dusk fan, and so I messaged him like, "Please help!" And so he kind of got involved as like the official guy working on Dusk World, and then um, a few guys who were like uh, Discord mods, we ended up bringing in as like QA, and it sort of snowballed from there. So. Yeah, it's a very long meandering way to describe it, but it's it's really difficult to describe exactly what New Blood is. It essentially is just a whole bunch of us who do what we can to work on these games and make them good. I would agree with that assessment from the outside looking in. You know, it's kind of like um it's like thinking of games and game developers as like a rock band and then like you guys are like the 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 music production company, you know. And that, sort of, I don't think that's, yeah. it's not really a uh, an uncommon business model in today's world. And I, I think that you guys kind of maybe pioneered it a bit, but we're even starting to see, you know, like 3D Realms kind of follow suit with that. You know, sort yeah, of I suppose they're kind of doing this. I think they have a bit of a different setup, but it's, it's yeah, it's, I guess it's sort of, um, sort of similar. Yeah. Like, uh, I think out of everyone, I have one of the more official titles, and it's still like, not really official or I don't like, you know, I'm creative director at new blood, but what I actually do is like all sorts of different stuff. It's not like, you know, a few weeks ago I was, um, doing like level design and help with some coding for maximum action. And then this last week I've been helping, um, helping zombie out working on the SDK alpha. Mm-hmm. Um, and also doing textures for Gloomwood, <laughs> like all you know, just all over. Um, so that yeah, that's sort of an example where it's like we're just you know, none of us really necessarily have a a really set in stone job or yeah. anything like that. We just all sort of like run around with our hair on fire until the game becomes good. Well, it's like uh, watching. I don't know if you've ever seen like some kind of monster with Metallica, where it's like Bob Rock is 
he's not only like doing the production, he's like, okay, the drum sounds got to be this way. We got to mic this thing that way. He's doing the, you know, splicing together the parts of the song, but he's also like playing the bass and also like dealing with the alcoholism and the drugs and all that. Like, <laughs> like that, it seems like you guys are running around, like, like you said, kind of like a chicken with your head cut off, you know, just trying to, you know, keep every project moving forward. And I think that a creative director sounds pretty appropriate as far as that's concerned, man. Yeah, that's sort of what it is. We're not trying to become a normal game publisher, I don't think, but we are trying to organize things a little more so that we can actually make progress on some yeah. areas where we felt like we haven't been making progress. But yeah, that's that's new blood, essentially. But the model in general is like, I, I, you guys see a game or pick up a game that someone's cur- like already working on or have a great idea for and then try to get it to the finish line. Yeah, um... Dave really likes demos, which is understood. He doesn't like pitches. Um, he likes demos. Like you can get a you can get a pitch from someone, and it's like the best pitch ever, and it sounds amazing. But like, if they don't have anything for you to actually get your hands on and actually feel what it's like, you know, see what it's like, it's you know, it, it's not as valuable, basically. So, um, yeah, usually what or what's happened at least so far is that we either encounter something that we're like wow this has potential we could really make this something special which was the case with maximum action Mm -hmm. or someone sends us a demo uh and we're like yeah this is something special we'll work on this which was the case with gloomwood and that's i guess that's sort of the most um that's the closest thing to like a consistent approach that i could say we have right now it's essentially just if we encounter something and we're like wait this this seems like a good fit for us and has potential and i think we can work on this then we you know see see what we can do with it we've done a couple of things um that was essentially just someone sent us a thing and just wanted some testing or feedback like they didn't want to they didn't want to work with us on publishing or anything like that. They're just like, "Hey, can you guys just take a look at this and, you know?" And so we just did that. Um I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say which games. I don't know why I wouldn't be, but I guess I'll just be careful. You're on the side of caution. Yeah. So yeah, same with I mean, again, it's just it's very non-traditional. We just kind of are like guys who try to make the games good and if that yeah, you know whatever that entails. Well, to save you the trouble, like it, it, I'll ask the questions, and you can just decide whether you want to answer them however you want. Sure. So, for for example, and one of the most interesting games that I think you guys are working on, and I feel like this may, may be kind of out of left field, but Faith, right? Uh, oh yeah, yeah. So you got, I mean, maybe like self projecting, but or is Oshri just like? checking out the indie scene and seeing what's out there that may need support. And then like, is he reaching out to people? Or are you guys reaching out to like to Airdorf or is he coming to you and saying like, Hey, I had this awesome game that maybe you'd like to support. That one's actually a interesting story. Cause, um, Air- Mason, Mason, Airdorf, um, he and I were actually friends before either of us were professional game developers. Um, we met playing, Alien versus Predator Classic 2000, which even wow. at the time of when when that was released, had a tiny little community. I don't think there's any community around it now. 
But like, so we became friends through that. Um, and then a few years later, I was making these small indie horror games and getting a little bit of success with that. And he messaged me like, Hey, that's cool. You're doing this. You know, haven't talked in a while. Here's this game that I'm working on or that I just released called faith. I'm like, Oh, that's cool. I'll have to check that out. And I never did. (laughs) I forgot. forgot. And then fast forward and it's like, faith is this massive success. And I'm like, Oh, I should maybe actually check that out. Um, and it just happened to coincide that he was kind of thinking about finding a publisher at the same time that Dave uh, kind of got it into his head that he really wanted us to work on a horror game. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had some other some other th- ideas that we pursued that didn't really pan out. And I was like, you know, you know, faith is a big thing. Like, you know, it's got this huge amount of groundswell behind it. Um, I'm pretty sure the developer's looking for a publisher. Why don't we see about that? And Dave um, got a hold of Faith and kind of got obsessed with it. He loved it. He was like, "We gotta, we you know, we gotta do something with this." And so we did, basically. <laughs> yeah, just brief tangent on that. Like, I I really love Faith. Like, I that's yeah, a I, good game. I might get Mortis like tattooed on my body. Like, oh, I'm, nice. Yes, I'm so serious about. Like, I love that game. Uh, but with that said, we need to talk about your game, which is another game that I kind of went through the same phase with. And it, I don't know why that is. It's not like I'm married to New Blood. I'm not like just like, oh, everything <laughs> you guys publish is gold. But like, holy shit, the track record is speaking for itself uh, thus far. Thank you. So with that said, man, uh, we got to talk about Dusk. That's why you're here. Right. I, I would. <laughs> I figured that would probably be why. <laughs> No, we we should do a whole show and avoid the whole topic. Let's just not <laughs> yeah, just not talk about dusk at all. <laughs> do a do a podcast on finger bones or something. So how did finger? No, um, how did uh, how did you get started on it? What where was the idea coming from? First, well, where did you come from? You're from um, you where where I live? You mean yeah? Oh, um, I live in northwestern Pennsylvania. Okay, which is so where that's dusk is okay. But, that's what I was hoping for. So let's get into that. Yeah, so um, there are a whole bunch of possible places you could start with Dusk. Um, the way, way, way far back version is I was a young teenager and I was just getting into like playing retro first-person shooters, which at the time still were retro. I'm not actually as old as some people think I am, although I'm getting old. Um, but uh, about the time that I was getting into um, retro first-person shooters, the kind of hot new stuff on the market was like um, Halo 2 and um, Doom 3, those sort of games. But so at that at that time, you know, Duke Nukem 3D and Half-Life and Doom and those sort of games were what I was getting into, but they were not current necessarily. It's just that I didn't have a console, really, and I didn't have a computer that could run anything that was like any newer than maybe year 2000 at most. So, um, so I was, you know, downloading share. I also didn't really have money. Um, so I was just downloading shareware demos of these old games and fell in love with them and got to the point where I'm like, I want to make my own. Now at that point I was, I, I started actual, actually I started game development when I was, um, like 12 or 13 around that. Well, 
you could say earlier, but that's when I was really kind of doing it in earnest. Um, and I was programming in a language called QBasic. QBasic is not a, or was not a very powerful language. So, of course, when I got it into my head that I wanted to make a game like Quake or Doom or Chasm or, the, you know, these games that I, that I really liked, um, I'm like, well, I'm going to do that in QBasic because that's the language I know. Um, that didn't work out. I spent a fairly long time actually working on trying to figure out how to code a, you know, 3D engine in QBasic and didn't get very far at all, partially because it's really not a language meant for that and partially because I'm not that good at math. <laughs> 3D engines are a lot of math. Um, and that game that I was trying to make and was drawing up all these design documents for and, you know, everything was Dusk. It was, you know, going to be a Quake-like FPS. It was going to be set in, like, a rural sort of Pennsylvania-y setting. And that's where that name and basic idea comes from. So then fast forward a few years, I'd gone through college, I planned on being a music professor, and then promptly abandoned that plan when I realized I hated college and didn't want to spend any more time in it than I had to. Same. Um, yeah, and I'd moved to working with GameMaker and then moved away from that to working with Unity, and I'd made a series of, like, narrative-driven, driven, I guess people would call them walking simulator horror games. Mm-hmm. Got burnt out on that and was like, I've spent years now, you know, having it in the back of my mind that someday I'm going to make a retro FPS. I've kind of waited to see to see if anyone else would do that so I could play it. And no one else had. Like, I think at this at this point, the only other thing, the only other things that were even close were like Rack, yeah. um, the Rise of the Triad remake, and Strafe was on the horizon. Strafe had had its Kickstarter. It hadn't come out yet. Um, and I didn't feel like anything had really done exactly what I wanted to play. And so I kind of just got fed up and said, fine, then I'll make it. You know, I'm burnt out on making these horror games right now. I'm just gonna... Well, I, I, originally it started as, like, I just want to throw a... Um, low poly shotgun onto a character controller in unity because that'll make me happy today and then very quickly that turned into okay this could probably be a retro fps and let's let's just finally make this retro fps i've wanted to make it's so funny like your verbiage there when you uh-huh. like literally the like what you just said i'm sure you haven't heard it the there's a podcast that i recorded with uh brad carney at QuakeCon. Where we had that exact same discussion. Oh, really? He, yeah, we were saying like his. He came out with Rack, right? And it, mm-hmm. you know, kind of didn't do. It didn't impress a lot of people the way he wanted it to. And it then, okay. but yeah, and Strafe was on the horizon, and then Strafe ended up kind of like not being what anybody really, in my opinion, Strafe hasn't made the impact that Dusk has, and I don't think that's an unobjective opinion. Uh, right. And then Dusk struck gold. Like, you guys really did just hit right at the, excuse my French, the mother load of what this genre ended up being. And it has become since Dusk. It was, like, at the perfect time, too. Um, yeah. Because I started work, like, I worked on it on myself for a little while. And 
was planning on it being sort of a one-year dev cycle. Um, at that point, I had, like, indie development was my full-time job, but mm-hmm. um, it was starting to look like maybe it would, I would not be able to keep that up. Um, I was, I was l- looking at um, a pian- starting a piano, well, I did start a piano tuning business and was looking at maybe making that um, more my full-time career. Um, so yeah, Dusk was not going to be a long dev cycle. It was like, let's spend a year making this slightly bigger game, um, that I think people want, because I know I want it, so I figure other people want it. I'll make that, I'll get that out there, maybe it'll do okay, and, you know, maybe I'll be able to keep developing games for a little bit longer. Um, and just on a whim, I sent it to Dave, and the only reason was because I knew he had worked on Rise of the Triad 2013, which is an incredibly janky game. Um, and I'm not sure if it's, like, I actually played a little bit of it uh, a few days ago, because, like, half of New Blood worked on that game, by the way. Um, so I uh, I was playing it on uh, screen share, and we were just all, you know, talking about it and laughing about stuff and stuff. And, oh boy, that that game. That's a, that's a rough game. But when it came out, I loved it. I think it was a big part of that was because there was nothing else that was filling that void. Um, I know at the time people kind of um, looked at sh- the sh- uh, Shadow Warrior reboot also, but that really didn't do it for me. I felt like that was a lot more of like a um, painkiller sort of game, which I love painkiller, but you know it wasn't quite the same thing. The Shadow Warrior remake, yeah, in that regard was kind of it. It, it wasn't the same genre. I mean, it was kind of modern. You know? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't see it as the same sort of thing at all. I know some people do because some people really like they get really wrapped up in just the combat pace as being what defines something as a retro FPS and what doesn't. I don't personally. I know that's really subjective though. But regardless, like I loved you know Rise of the Triad 2013 when it came out, warts and all. I knew David worked on it. I knew he was sort of a online personality. People you know paid attention to. So I just sent him a demo of this thing I was working on, figuring, hey, maybe I can get him to tweet about it. Like, you know, maybe he'll follow me and tweet about stuff, and that'll be a little bit more exposure that I get, because I will tell you what, it it was true back then, and I'm pretty sure it's even more true now. The biggest challenge in indie development is getting people to... Um, can we swear on this podcast? I assume so. Fuck yeah, you right. can't. Okay, <laughs> I wasn't even going to say fuck. I was you've just going to say... You've obviously <laughs> never listened to an episode if you're asking that question. No, <laughs> well, it's... um. The the biggest challenge is getting people to like give a damn about you, yeah. Um, and so you know, I'm like, hey, maybe ex- more exposure, maybe. Um, and he ended up loving the demo and was like, no, not exposure, publishing. I'm yeah. like, oh, I had just gotten done working on two other projects with people that had been published by other publishers who were not good, were borderline scams. I would say one of them, I'm pretty sure, was a scam. Um, so I was really wary of that. I'm like, really? You're just, you're just like, that seems too good to be true. Um, but long story short, it wasn't too good to be true. And that's how, you know, that's, that's the story of how Dusk started and how I got involved with New Blood and how that whole ball got rolling. Let's, uh, rewind the question and ask the same question again, but with a different pretense. Okay. The story of Dusk in real life 
what is the story of Dusk, as in the plot. Um, this is very interesting to me, and I think it's a, it's something different that we don't really get a lot in this uh, particular genre. We, we could go back to like Doom had to be expanded upon later on. There is a, you know, okay, here's the the screen before you start each level, and Dusk kind of follows that similar process of like you know you uncover the story by playing the game and you did such a great job in my personal opinion just of telling the story through gameplay and i I really want you to kind of like lay that out for us if you can Uh, okay that was um that was sort of a uh the result of a vision tension between dave and i on -hmm. the way the story turned out because i wanted I wanted as much environmental storytelling as possible, um, or or put to put a different way, I wanted it to be as not in your face as possible. Because I had just gotten done working on like you know four games that were basically nothing but story. Um, so for Dusk, I'm like, I just I want to have you know the story parts just be kind of like this um, thing in the background that that is maybe there but it's not that overt and it's the the main f- you know thing is the gameplay and the level progression um but Dave really wanted it to have more overt story and lore um and throughout development that was constantly a i i guess disagreement but not in like we were necessarily arguing about it always it's more just like we were each pulling in different directions mm-hmm. um and so that resulted in the game having you know definite lore to it but also that uh heavy component of just like the stuff you're seeing or the the levels you're progressing through and stuff is kind of the story um and what that story actually is was in when i started the game was entirely different um the premise was entirely different than it ended up being um for a variety of reasons it just sort of ended up getting uh, written over and thrown out throughout development. Um, the, and what it was replaced with was sort of written on the fly. You know, when we finished episode one, we had absolutely no idea where the plot was going to go in episode two. And when we finished episode two, we had very little idea where it was going to go in three. Um, and honestly, that was true right up until making the final boss level. That was like that was still sort of something that was iterated on and changed. Okay. Before we get into what it ended up being, do you mind giving just like the, the elevator pitch synopsis of what it originally was intended to be? Yeah. Um, originally it was rip off stalker basically. (laughs) Um, the idea was you, it was this, um, cordoned off area where they'd found all of these like weird Lovecraftian ancient ruins with magical bullcrap underneath the ground. So they set up all these research facilities to process and research them and stuff. Um, and then at some point, everything just went completely to hell. And I don't know, you had mini Chernobyl happen in the research facilities and you had dark magic escaping from stuff underground. And Everyone, you know, all all of the people who weren't, like, hadn't had their brains melted and turned into, you know, like, zombies basically left and just sealed off the area. Um, and so many, many years later, you were coming in as a treasure hunter into this area. 
And the reason you are coming in is because in these ruins, you've heard there were rumors of there's tons and tons of gold and jewels and all this stuff in there. So you're coming into this place, essentially, where you've had just unspeakable, weird magic stuff and, like, industrial accident mixing for, like, a de- decades. Um, and that's the reason all of the health, or not health, um, all of the armor pickups are, you know, bags of gems and things like that. Yeah. That's a holdover from that original premise. Finally, an answer to that question. <laughs> I didn't even have to ask. Yeah, and, um, because it, it kind of doesn't make as much sense now. Because, you know, it was, originally it was like, well, these are your goal. And so, um, what's happening is that you're dust dude, and you're super tough. And so your armor is just how good you feel. Like, if you have a lot of morale, you can soak up more damage, you know, because, mm-hmm. um, and so the more of these things you're collecting, these things that are ultimately your goal, the better you're feeling about the situation. Um, and it doesn't make quite as much sense in the final game, but it still kind of works because ultimately, if we still go by that premise of Dusk Dude just being so tough that he just has to feel good about life for, you know, to soak up more damage, it's like, well, no matter who you are, you're probably going to feel a bit better about your life if you're picking up a diamond the size of a basketball. <laughs> that makes sense, man. Yeah, I mean, it kind of works. It's, it works. It makes as much sense as really anything in Dusk, you know. <laughs> I don't ever want that to change. Like that's perfect because it's a. Uh, it is a holdover. It doesn't really necessarily logically make sense in the current iteration, but the fact that it has a deeper meaning and that people have to like search to find that out makes right. it special. You know, like that. That's what makes it unique and special. So I, yeah, that's a that's awesome. Uh, so the real story, the the actual dusk story, uh, we end up with the you know this cult, uh, and you know you journey through the tunnels and you come out. And there's the foothills and the military and the, the research facilities, which is kind of kind of same vibe. And we end up with the cult leader Jacob, and then we end up with uh, spoiler alert, we end up with Naraloth the Tip. Uh, you know, yeah. So the yeah. Lovecraft influence that that interests me uh, for obvious reasons. Yeah. Um, so a lot of a lot of the very overt story, uh, like the overt story of Dusk and the lore behind it, a lot of that was Dave. Mm-hmm. Usually, the divide is like um, things like how the levels progressed or where the levels were set, and like what happens in those not what happens but like the the story beats that kind of occur as part of the level design were mostly me um like for instance that at the end of E2M8 that whole thing with the um blood and bone you know with like the altar and stuff yeah. um that was all me but then the stuff that's more overt that has um more, more like overtly story uh like all of um all of Neolithotep's dialogue, for instance, or Jacob's name, things like that. Those are all Dave. So the the Lovecraft part, as with much of Dusk's story, I think came about just sort of as a miscommunic or, or a lack of communication between what I meant and what Dave heard, or, or a, a discrepancy between what I meant and what Dave heard, um, and that turning into a thing that just kind of worked. <laughs> So when originally I kept, you know, when we'd talk about levels, you know, the game and level design and stuff, I would keep referring to Lovecraft nonsense, by which I essentially meant um, 
Quake design. Yeah, uh, exactly. when I when I said Lovecraft nonsense, I meant sort of like the abstract, weird, uh, other you know, other realm sort of stuff that you see in Quake. Um, and I think Dave heard that very literally, and so he started thinking of it in terms of like, okay, what Lovecraft lore are we gonna tr- are we gonna you know put into this game? And very literally, in episode three, there's a bunch of wall text that's literally just ripped straight out of Lovecraft stories. I noticed, and it, it. I was fine with that because I'm also a fan of Lovecraft. Not maybe not so much of the Cthulhu mythos. I actually just kind of like him as a horror writer, which I guess is kind of the opposite of what most most people like. Most people are into the like all the the Cthulhu stuff, and they're like, uh, as a writer, eh, I don't know. If I but, can, like, yeah. I'm with you. I mean, I've, the the logo for this podcast speaks for itself. But if I if I may. Right. I am also like my love for Lovecraft is on the same level. Like I like him as a horror writer. I enjoy like he wrote the book literally on how to write a horror story, which is to be vague essentially to like not spell everything yeah. out and and leave the people guessing. And that's exactly what you, it sounds, it sounds like Dave had the other approach and you had the approach of like, let them figure it out for themselves which will be more horrifying and you can Yeah, well I think we work kind of both just in different ways. Dave had yeah. a um like uh, Dave wanted the lore to be a little more overt, but we both were of the opinion where it's like leave some things unspoken and subtle and excuse me and let people have their own theories. And the the convenient part about that, about that approach, is also that helps cover up a little bit of the weirdness that happened when we were doing stuff in episode one and two before we had any agreement on what the story was. So I'd be doing stuff kind of sticking with the original plan, and then Dave would be assuming it was something else, and just like, you know, there's a, there's a lot of stuff in Dusk that doesn't actually make much sense, but because it's not, yeah, because the story is still a little bit open you can kind of come up with theories that make it make sense. It's not as it's not as bad as if we from the start were like here is exactly what is happening and why and then you had all this other stuff happening that didn't fit in. Okay. So we've covered kind of the Lovecraft part of it. What about Algernon Blackwood because we I don't know if Wendigo specifically came from him or if did it come from something to do with like uh, the I know that the Wendigo is kind of like a, I want to say like Nova Scotian or like Great Lakes area. Uh, Native American. Okay. Thing. Right. Um, that, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Native American. Or me. I'm not sure. I could be wrong about that, but um, I'm, that idea. I want to say it's like Native yeah. American, but in that area, in like the Great Lakes to, to like Eastern Canada, you know. I think so, yeah. And yeah. so it does also fit into the, the setting. Um, okay. Because, you know, that's where... that's where Dusk is set in Northwest PA, by by the way. It's, it is canon. We got um, it. But that came from uh, Mark Diaz, who is the, say, gameplay programmer at id, I think. He's an awesome guy. Anyway, and... Um, I met him at the first QuakeCon where we showed Dusk and kind of, you know, remained friends with him. Um, and 
one day he sent me this thing. He's like, dude, I just had this idea for an enemy in Dusk. He's like, you need to have Wendigos in Dusk. And he sent me these pictures, and I'm like, you are right. I need to have Wendigos in Dusk. These are awesome. Yeah. Um, so that's where the idea for having Wendigos in the game came from. Um, and it worked out that, you know, they were sort of, you know, it's a rural setting, and they're you know, like a, um, Appalachian, you know, they kind of felt like they would fit in there. Um, and then their behavior was really, uh, honestly, just entirely ripped off of Bloodsuckers from Stalker. Because I am, in case you couldn't, you you didn't know already, I am a massive Stalker nerd. Yeah. Um, that's like my favorite game. Um, so I just took the invisible, spooky breathing thing idea and kind of put my own little twist on it with the you know the violin jump scare when they when they're revealed and yeah i don't i don't think there's really any uh lore or or like um i don't think there's there's any legend reason for the wendigos being invisible i'm pretty sure that's not part of you know the legend of wendigos but you know it's cool so i think um some people may have different opinions about this. Like it may be, I don't know. They they may have a different idea of what, what's the definitive enemy in dusk. Is it the mage? Like a lot of people remember the mage because they're like KKK members. Some people will remember the leathernecks. For me, the Wendigo is kind of the definitive dusk enemy. Like that's the, that's the enemy that's like, that's dusk to me. Um, and it, I think it would either be the Wendigo, the leatherneck, or the rat. <laughs> yeah, the rat in the raticombs. Or <laughs> yes. Which was also thinking. Dave's idea, by the way. Um, having a, a secret level that was just nothing but rats, and calling it the raticombs. And I'm like, that is absolutely brilliant. We have to do that. And then for some reason, we had to make it the layout from the, what is it, Whispering Catacombs, I think, from Planescape. Because Dave is actually perhaps a bigger CRPG nerd than he is a retro FPS nerd. So he's mm. like, yeah, we have to do the... Because many as one is in there. I'm like, okay, I guess I'll try to turn that layout into a retro FPS level. Hey, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, whatever works for him. I don't I don't care. Like, as long as you guys are pumping out the content you are, however the creative process goes about, let, let keep it going. Keep that happening. So then... um. I guess the reason I wanted to say that the, the Wendigo is because I had this moment when uh, we were interviewing uh, Andrew. What Helschult was oh, that? Oh, you interviewed him? I didn't know that. That's cool. Yes. Um. So when we did that, we talked about uh, his his sound design going into the moment where the Wendigo is revealed. You know, and I don't th- that that whole scene. I, I forget. Yeah, somebody have to forgive me for like what exactly what level that is, but like just the, uh, the moment. When, yeah, when you first see the Wendigo, it's and the, everything building up to it. That moment is so epic. It's like one of the most epic parts of the entire game. It just I don't know yeah, why it just lands hard. Um. Well, that is that I that is kind of my theory of context coming into play which is that i are uh, creatively i or not creatively more artistically i don't think anything really has um has significance except in relation to other things mm-hmm. uh which is to say that um let's see if you have a 
if you have a giant explosive action scene with monsters jumping out all the time, um, a single monster jumping out is not gonna is not scary, you know. But if you have a single monster jumping out in the context of, you know, a place that's silent and quiet and there's nothing else there, then that's scary. That's sort of an example. And so that whole level was like uh, the the impetus for that was like you you fight stuff in this game constantly. It's a retro FPS. You're always going into rooms and fighting stuff. What would happen if for like half the level you're not fighting any and there's no music? That is already that's two uns- unsettling things because they're not how it's supposed to be. You know, right. if you go into a room in a retro FPS and there aren't any monsters, that's scarier than if there are because you're like, oh crap, I know they're going to have to be monsters at some point because I'm playing a shooter. So when are the monsters coming? So <laughs> that whole first part of that level is just playing with that where there's like no music and that's the first time there's never been any music um, in Dusk except for uh, in the at the um, episode one boss. The start of that, there's no music. So already that's like, oh, something bad's going to happen. And then you spend all this time going through rooms where you're just hearing things outside your sight and you're seeing dead guys and all this stuff, but nothing is coming at you. And then that's all building up to, you know, the Wendigo encounter. That's, yeah. I think you're dead on with that. Like, hit for hit for hit, the the comparison of what has come before to what happens in that moment really does add to it. The uh, the next thing I kind of wanted to touch on because we are already talking about kind of the sound design and how that implemented into the game. Uh, how did you guys pick up Andrew for the project? How did that happen uh, from your perspective? Um, well, he had worked with Dave on Rise of the Triad. Correct. And um, I, you know, have my degree in music. I was looking to be a composer. Um, and I've done, except for Dusk, I've done all the music for my own games. So with when I was, you know, starting Dusk, I was figuring, well, I'm going to do the music for this. Um, and then when I signed on with New Blood, Dave was like, what do you think about having, you know, Andrew Holschel do the music? And I'm like, eh, I got this. I can do my music. Um, but then uh, one thing led to another, and Andrew did a demo. And um, it was a good demo. And I'm like, okay, maybe we can work together on the music. And he's like, nah. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, well, that's, you know, maybe it'd be better if you did the music since I've got like 50 other things that I have to do in this game. Um, and that ended up being a really good thing, first of all, because there's no way I could have done, you know, a tenth of that music with the workload that I already had for Dusk. And second mm-hmm. of all, because I think he was a much better fit for the game that Dusk ended up being than I would have been. Because um, originally Dusk was going to be a little bit more horror-y. Um, it was going to be, you know, all the all the music was going to be like ambient, sort of like Quake, um, and it was going to have more of a, it, not an entirely serious tone, but more of a serious tone. Um, right. Of course, it turned into something much more, you know, actiony and stuff like that. And so I think Andrew ended up being a really good fit for being able to do the sort of balls to the wall action music, but also doing the weird. Um, the weird quake like you know doom 64 like ambient stuff and everything in between it, it feels like a, a a cross between what you just described and it in my mind just like the way i've manifested it in my head like how i would imagine dave 
wanted it to feel was more like a like like Rise of the Triad, which I assume is like his favorite game. Because he Um like, to, down I'm to not the point. Sure what- Dave's favorite game is honestly. I, I, it doesn't matter, but the, the point is that like it just has kind of the it, it's a horror game at heart, but it, it there's a lot of humor to it. There's a lot of like these ridiculous memes and jokes that kind of uh, harken back to something yeah. like like Rise of the Triad. You know, even well, it's yeah. worth remembering that um, Doom at the time was intended to be a horror game. Like it was right. supposed to scare people. And um, now it's hilarious. Yeah, but they still, like, and uh, that's true of, you know, that's sort of part of the legacy, I feel, of retro FPS is being serious and not serious at the same time. Like, you know, Duke Nukem 3D is, of course, filled with humor, but also has time for moments that are supposed to be, like, a little more like, oh, crap. Uh, Blood, especially, you know, Blood is filled with jokes, but Blood is legitimately a horror game at certain parts. Um, While we're talking about it, uh, Steve Stephen White, right? Yeah, you guys got him to do Narlathotep. Um, that's amazing, dude. Like, I didn't realize it was him until uh, until I think it was Civi. Civi pointed it out in one of his videos, and I was like, oh, yeah. like the connection was all there. Like the sound, everything you guys did, every choice that you made. I'm sure you probably see things like, oh man, I fucked this up, or I should have done so. So is it? Oh yeah, for sure. It it feels, it feels like everything fell into place for for dusk. That's just a lot of things did, yeah, yeah. Like that's one of them. Like how did that happen? Yeah, that was again. That was just a Dave idea. With that's sort of Dave's um, Dave's wheelhouse is that sort of thing when it comes to promoting the game to people or getting in contact with people who would might be assets for things or things like that. That's that's what he is, you know, the master of. So yeah. that no, was okay. him just being like, hey, let's get Stephen Wyatt for <laughs> I'm like, that'd be cool, sure. If you can. <laughs> um and getting him on board himself was not a problem at all. He's a super nice guy and was like, Yeah, sure, let's do it. That'll be fun. Um but uh dealing with the um the union was a problem. <laughs> Because he's part of, uh, what is it, TAG, I think. So there's all of these weird... There's all these weird things you have to follow that didn't necessarily make sense for video games. But eventually we got it worked out. And, you know, he's great as Nier Lathotep. And I think it's funny that uh, a lot of people don't necessarily place the voice. Right. Um, because he's not doing the Caleb voice. He's, you know, he's doing the near Lethotep voice. Uh, so, yeah, that's always fun when people are like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize that was him. Like, especially if people watch through the credits and see that. And they're like, wait, that's the guy. That's the blood guy. Yeah. Like, that's how it hit me, too. It was just like, oh, like, it just made so much sense. At the, at the end of that game, after playing through the whole thing, you know, and you finally get that scene with him and everything, it's like, all of the all of the the jokes and the the hearkenings back to to the I would call it the paying respect to I guess what came before mm-hmm. you know the different games that it referenced and everything and then like to have the voice of Caleb as the penultimate scene in the game like the, the this is it this is the character that's been like luring you the whole time and tempting you 
and ultimately tricking you into becoming whatever it is that you become. Yeah, it was I, a, it was a perfect send off, and I think that was a really good idea. Of yeah. you know, we'll look for sure. John St. John soon. Yeah. Well, he's in um, Ion Fury. They yes, got they yeah. got John St. John. We got Stephen Wyatt. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I mean. I feel like, but they probably just have a, a working relationship with him, period. Like, 3D Realms is just, like, a long-standing... Uh, Slipgate has... Yeah, they've worked with him on a few other things, I think. Yeah. Um, Rad Rogers, I, he's, I think he's in there. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's one of the voices in Rad Rogers. Through, through Andrew's worked, you know, he he did the soundtrack for Rad Rogers and his yeah. work with 3D Realms, too, so you could pr- just play the game, you know? You could trade off, get whoever you want. Yeah. Man, Andrew's done the soundtrack for just about everything in this realm. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I, I really like, I hesitate to say things like this because I feel like if I want to interview someone else who does, you know, sound design for games, uh, I might look like a jackass. But the truth is that I just, I think Andrew's probably the best. Like, for, for what I He's extremely can, good at what he does and yeah. incredibly, pr- like, the, um, the soundtrack for Dusk is insanely huge. It is insane how much music he wrote for that game. Like, multiple tracks for every level. Every single level. And that's just insane. Like, you know, Doom has, like, what, nine or something? There's, like, a, a yeah. hundred separate tracks in Dusk, or more than a hundred, actually, um, for different levels and stuff. And that's not even counting things like incidental stingers and stuff like that. Let's put it this way, man. Like, when, I, when I'm... The first time I met you... I is when I came up at QuakeCon and I was like, "Hey, can I get a you know like a you guys would just do the shout out?" And I was going to show it on the podcast, and I had my little recorder with me and everything. I didn't know he was there. I, I didn't know what Andrew looked like. Oh, you know, uh-huh. I, I knew he was like a, a dude with a beard. That's what I had. Right, in my head. that doesn't narrow it so, down very much at QuakeCon. So I'm standing there with you, and yeah, not at QuakeCon <laughs> yeah. for sure. It, and you and Ashri, I had asked you guys to do it and you were doing it. And then just like some random fucking hobo, like just grabs my <laughs> microphone. It's like, yo, I'm Andrew Holschel. And you have no idea. Like you have no idea how long I'd be like, I'm trying to find this guy. I had emailed him multiple times. Like, Hey, would you like, I really want you on the pod. Like you've done so many soundtracks for games that mean a lot to what I'm doing here. And I would love to have you on the show and everything. And he never responded to me and I never expected him to, but you guys created a miracle for me in that moment. Like you and Dave and him all made like, that was a near religious experience for me. <laughs> That's awesome. The moment where he did that, you know? And then he was like, yo, you want to go record right now? And I was like, yeah, we went to my hotel room and crushed some beers and did a podcast. Like you, <laughs> you made great. a dream come true. Yeah. Andrew yeah. is an awesome person. Yeah. He's so cool. So cool. All right. That's enough. Uh, and smoke up his ass there. <laughs> so I do want to talk a little bit about the fact that you, you know, the, the reason why I was asking about like, how did you get him to do it was a kind of a nice way of saying, why didn't you do your own soundtrack to that game? Why didn't, why wasn't that your uh, right. domain? Yeah. Because you are a musician. Uh, what's your musical background? You, you went to college a bit, but like, when did you get into music as a, as a kid or? Yeah. So um, I don't think anyone's ever asked me that in an interview before, actually. Um, now this is a long form thing, so yeah. let's go. So uh, I I don't actually talk about it that much because my sort of realm of music is completely divorced from anything like 
usually Dusk fans are into. Um, that's because I am a, I'm a violinist. Actually, I started when I was four years old and played in played in orchestras uh, up until college. Um, got a did did sort of like one on one compositional training too before college, and then went to college and major, majored in musical composition with a um, minor in. I think it, wait, was I going to have a minor in performance? I can't remember, but you you do performance as well if you're a music major. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, and then I switched colleges and changed that major into just violin um, and graduated with that. So I have a I have a um, BFA in violin performance, technically, and that's really the musical realm that I know stuff about and you know have interest in is really like you know i guess what you'd call classical um not you specifically but you know what what someone would call classical music even though that's not completely accurate but you know but yeah that's sort of my my wheelhouse for that is sort of like um late romantic uh early to mid 20th century like orchestral and chamber music is where where my biggest interest is so of course, that's not a very big talking point with um, most retro FPS fans are just into completely different music than that. So usually I'd just stay quiet about it because it's not something you really, you know, no. there's no real... Fuck them, man. <laughs> um, and yeah. so I, I did, uh, I've, I've written some mostly chamber music um, and sort of experimental just fiddling around digital stuff. Any of the most of like the digital stuff that I've done is really just it's just experimenting. I didn't mean it for it to be like anything that great, just like playing around. Um, and only recently have I even started kind of getting back into writing. Um, I'm I'm writing a little piano thing right now. I don't know what to do with it because thing is you can't really do you can't really make that big living writing that sort of music unless you're going to get into doing. Um, you know, soundtracks or things like that. It's just not a, it's just not really a thing anymore, which is sad, but that's how it goes. So yeah, for Dusk, I was planning on doing a lot of, I, I'd done for, you know, my previous horror games. All of my soundtracks are actually, or all the, all of the music that I can find that is recorded or that I've written digitally and stuff are all on my band, band camp page. If anyone wants to check that out, it's a whole big assortment of like, some stuff is crap, some stuff isn't as crap, you know. But yeah, so what I wrote for, like, my horror games was, like, a lot of ambient stuff. There's some violin music in there that I recorded. Um, and I was planning on kind of doing the same thing with Dusk, having a lot of industrial, ambient, experimental stuff. Um, and I was definitely not going to be doing, you know, metal. Because I don't have any background in that. I don't even really have a uh, at that time, at least, I didn't really even have a way to record or produce that. So yeah, Dusk would have sounded very different if Andrew hadn't been brought in. And the whole reason that I decided not to was, well, first of all, because of the workload. Because I knew, even back then, I knew it was going to be a huge endeavor. Um, and it ended up being even bigger than I thought. Um, and the second reason was, I felt like... Andrew was much more suited to kind of speak to the audience that Dusk was being made for. Um, Like I could do 
a soundtrack for it, and it would be something I'd be happy with, and probably be something that would fit the game, you know, that I was making. But would it be something that like people coming into Dusk wanted to hear? Because coming into Dusk, what you know, coming into this balls to the wall retro FPS experience, people want balls to the wall music. Um, although Andrew and I were very much in agreement that you know there had to be that heavy ambient side also. And I think both of us actually fought Dave on that at different times. Cause Dave was always like more action tracks. Be like, no Dave, this part, we need ambience to set up for the action track that's coming. So that's essentially why we went with him and, or why, you know, I ended up being okay going with him. And like, like I said before, I think it was a very good decision because the soundtrack that he made for Dusk is something very special and something that I could not have done on my own. And I don't think what I would have done would have been at all, you know, that in terms of like what uh, the amount and the quality and what people would have wanted. Well, on that note, I, I agree with you. You couldn't have picked a more perfect perfect person to do that soundtrack on the other hand i'm gonna be real disappointed if your next project isn't you doing it i'm do um so the next thing i'm working on there are several things actually um i'm sure this probably butts up against a end podcast question you'll ask but um that's fine working on um stuff at new blood you know as creative directory thing whatever i am um and that's all other composers. I think we've we've talked about me maybe writing something for Gloomwood, like doing a straight up piece of chamber music that would be sort mm-hmm. of somewhat era appropriate. Uh, we've talked about maybe doing that, but otherwise that's all that's all other people. Um, for my own little solo project that I'm working on in my spare time, um, which is another, it's a back to being a horror game, kind of taking some of the game design lessons I learned from Dusk and trying to apply them to a another narrative-driven horror game, I'm doing all my own stuff for that. And it's a weird, weird soundtrack. (laughs) um, Doing a lot of, like, sampling of other recordings and screwing with them. um, Or, like, like taking, taking little bits out of other classical music recordings and then smashing them together to make different, you know, um, different melodies and stuff. Um, It's going to be weird. Because of like Glenwood's Victorian setting, I think that would be really appropriate for you yeah. to do that. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, I think it would fit very well. Like I'm kind of picturing like a like first person shooter, uh, Bloodborne or something along those lines for that game. Yeah, um, it's you don't have to say anything. You're not allowed to say. Well, n- no, it's um, no, it's like a mashup of immersive sim and survival horror. So kind of mm. figure if you like mash together Thief and System Shock 2 and then put it in a Victorian setting that's sort of what it is. Right. Um well, I'm not going to I'm not going to take my pants off yet. <laughs> yeah, keep talking. But. Yeah, it's that one I mean we haven't even officially announced that or anything. Everyone just knows we're working on it cuz Dave unofficially noticed, announced it cuz he's Dave. <laughs> I noticed you keep you keep mentioning it and I'm like I don't I know it's there, but I don't know of any press on it. Really. No, we haven't Actually. done any official announcement or we just just everyone knows we're working on it. Um, I wish I had like a soundbite that was like exclusive. Like, yeah. yeah, go ahead. There's a we're working on the vertical slice thing right now. Like Dusk had that whole pre-alpha demo thing we put out. We're kind of mm-hmm. doing the Gloomoid equivalent of that at the moment. 
Um, and whenever that's done, that's when we'll officially announce it, you know, have like a press push and everything. Let's talk about Stalker, man. Sure, uh, I'd love to. You're obsessed. Yeah. Uh, you're obsessed. I personally never played it. So what is it about that game that uh, inspires you so? Um, Let's see. Well, me personally, a big, big, big part of it is the atmosphere. Um, mm-hmm. Now, when Stalker released, or at least when I played it, I had never played anything else like that. Um, and there's still kind of not that much that... I mean, there's... There's games that kind of do a similar setting now because Stalker was, you know, a bit of a minor phenomenon. Um, but nothing that really does quite the same thing of just like, it's like urban exploration ratcheted up to 100 where you're like exploring these, you know, abandoned post-Soviet industrial complexes um, and these, you know, these like barren wasteland you know, uh, wastelands and stuff. Um, but there's actual monsters. And of course, Fallout's kind of the same deal. And I, I think Stalker released before Fallout 3. I think. Yeah. No, you're talking about Shadow of, Cher- of yeah, Chernobyl? Yeah, Shadow of Chernobyl, I'm pretty sure, came out before Fallout 3. Um, and honestly, Shadow of me playing Stalker before playing the Fallout games kind of um, makes it difficult to quite appreciate the fallout games the same way other people do because atmospherically they just pale in comparison um so that's a big part of it um the other thing is that there's a a bit of a nostalgia component which is that when i played stalker for the first time it was my introduction to things like um open world games like that was the first time i'd ever played anything that was uh had a living world, you know, had this like open world you could walk around at your leisure and had that world kind of live and do its own thing. And it's still one of the best examples of that whole living world aspect. Um, a lot of, you know, since Far Cry 3 happened, there's been a ton of open world first person shooters or open world action games, but none of them that I've played at least have matched what Stalker did with A Life, where it's like the world is literally. Uh, player agnostic just lives on its own you know i like the i just i like the game itself like what it represents as far as you know i like all of the weird little quirks and jank and i like the weird combat all these things which have really come that you know that's a matter of just the that comes after you know time of falling in love with this thing and then you just kind of learn to enjoy it for all the quirks and I think the main thing is really that just the feeling of the zone and, you know, playing the, and feeling like you're in this living place that is very threatening and where anything could happen, etc. Well, it's added to my Steam wish list now. Well, I already did it. Fair warning. Talking. Shadow of Chernobyl <laughs> is very, very janky. It is very janky. You will, uh... you will want to install a mod of some sort. A lot of people suggest conversion mods like like stuff like um complete stalker complete i personally hate stalker complete i don't suggest that at all um i like zone reclamation project which is just a basically a bug fix mod that tries to keep it as vanilla as possible but that is also because i like some of the weirdness and jank of the game so i don't want to take it out <laughs> well you heard it straight from yeah. the horse's mouth folks that's what we'll do but yeah, yeah just be more it's a it's a like the game was basically released half finished, 
So there are all these, like, for instance, you can't sleep in the game. Um, which nowadays is like, what the heck? That makes, you know, that's a huge oversight. At the time, you know, when it came out and there was no blueprint for this sort of open world first person game, it was just like, okay, fine, whatever. I just have to, you don't sleep. Okay, cool. <laughs> I feel like that's kind of a thing in a lot of games. Like, you just, or Zelda, you know, you didn't that's sleep. That's true. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you know, like yeah, that's um, true. I don't. Uh, the Witcher, you you meditate, but you have the excuse that he's the Witcher, I guess. But it's just sort of a it's a um, expected thing now. With like, you know, Far Cry, um, three is what sort of, well, two introduced a lot of those elements, and three made everyone pay attention to him. And so one of the things is like you can you know you can sleep in a bed to advance time. That's not in Stalker. Another thing is like, oh, you visit the trader to repair your weapons. That is not in Stalker also. Your weapons break, you are done with them. Oh, just stuff like that. Yeah, like uh, like in Breath of the Wild, they introduced that. Yeah, of Breath of the Wild like is weird. an interesting, interesting game. I loved it. I don't know how a lot of people felt. I think I most really people care. loved it. I just enjoyed the, I enjoyed the hell out of it. I thought it yeah, was Yeah, it's amazing. a cool game. It's not my favorite Zelda, but... It's also kind of well, not a Zelda yeah. game, if you know what I mean. It's like it's like a Bethesda game it's, with a Zelda skin. It's yeah. its own thing. I, I thought it was yeah, great. it's good. I didn't say it was my favorite Zelda game. I'm not going to say that. I mean, whatever. It introduced a lot of really cool gameplay mechanics to a Nintendo game. Yeah, that I had a lot of immersive sim mechanics, which I'm always on board with. That that sort of systemic focus. Um, which is really mm-hmm. unusual for Nintendo. And seeing that through a Nintendo lens is weird and interesting. I guess we have to inevitably talk about the projects you guys are working on now uh, at New Blood. Yeah. So I want, I want to say now everything. Like You've already mentioned Gloomwood. You've talked about uh, just the different things that have gone on. Uh, we talked about Faith a little bit. Yeah. Um, I didn't mention a Medieval. I, I personally regrettably embarrassingly haven't oh. played it yet and i will it's just there's a long list of games i've got to play and that's it's on it that is list. eternally strange to me um, that that game is not as popular as dusk is because medieval is like the super polished like industry veterans working on this thing and then dusk is just like this my janky weird out there game but for some reason it's it's more popular yeah, uh, Medieval's out. We're not working on that anymore, except they're working on RTX support, and I don't envy them at all. Let's see, what are we doing right now? Gloomwood, like I already touched on, that's a sort of survival horror immersive sim mashup set in a, a ghostly alternate reality Victorian uh, sort of thing. I don't know, it's still <laughs> it's still early in development. Um, maximum Action mm-hmm. is kind of our big one right now or at least it's the one that's had the most dev time um until recently and that is an early access um emphasis on the early part that game is still very janky and um but very fun uh, <laughs> and it's basically a it's it's basically jank max pain i guess you could say it's max pain on the n64 tons of Debris flying everywhere, lots of slow mo, lots of ragdoll glitches. John Wu. It's it's hard boiled yeah. in game form. That one has been really fun yeah. to work on. Um 
although stressful, it's also been very fun for me because I have also always wanted to make a sort of John Woo style FPS. And when I say that, I don't mean a Max Payne style. I mean a John Woo style. And I mean specifically yeah. the Tea House shootout where people are firing pistols and they're making explosive explosions and, you know, debris is flying everywhere. Spe- and like, Specifically, I want, I want to make yeah, hard-boiled the game. That's what we're trying to say. So it's like- one of the first tasks that I had when uh, we started working on Maximum Action, one of the first things I was assigned was to do a revamp of one of the levels. Uh, sort of quickly take it and make it a little bit better. Um, and my way of doing that was basically just to make everything, you know, like put put a bunch of props everywhere, make everything destructible, just make it so that if you're firing a gun in this room, then stuff is flying everywhere and you have no idea what's going on. Um, and that was very cathartic to be able to do that fine, because that's something I kind of tried to do in games for years and had never had the had the ability to do it to the extent that now we're able to in maximum action. Um, so yeah, that one's, that's fun to work on. That's our, that's our like janky out there, crazy game. And then yeah, faith is not really something that I'm working on at the moment because Mason kind of just does his own thing, but yeah, faith three is in development. Put put a pin in uh, maximum action. Um, Mm -hmm. Who's John? Who's John? John Szymanski. Who's uh, why? Is oh, he... that's my brother. Okay, so he's um, on the credits. Yeah, yeah, he is. Um, he is. Okay, so the Maximum Action team is basically all of us, but the primary, uh, the primary people are George, who is the original developer and is sort of doing the. You know, he's he's the main guy. Johnny, who's my brother, um, we brought him on as. Basically, doing a assistant programmer, he does a bunch of programming, and it's basically his job to fix the game because um, it's it, George has been working on it for years at this point, and I think it was the first game he ever started, or at the very least, a very early one. Um, and that code base is rough, <laughs> so it needs a lot of revamping. And then I'm doing my thing, whatever that is, and then we have someone doing. UI and UX, and then, but well, I mean, basically all of us are working. But yeah, Johnny is a programmer on Maximum Action, and he was hired because he is a good programmer, and also because probably nepotism. But <laughs> is that it as far as like new projects or things that you guys are working on goes? Uh, let me. Th- um, you think I'm up? Unfortunate Spaceman will be having a 1.0 release someday. <laughs> Um, Zag has gone gone to greener pastures at the moment, but that's one day we'll have a you know no one no one cares about that. It's fine. Yeah, <sighs> poor unfortunate, unfortunate, unfortunate spaceman. Yikes! It's a very fun game. It looks Just, awesome. I I haven't tried it, but it does look great. Like it looks like a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a uh, it's very fun if you get past the learning like, curve. There's a really hefty learning curve. But if you can play with the right group of people and you get past that initial, you know, that initial brick wall of learning, it's a really fun yeah, game. I I kind of took it as like a like who done it or like uh like the Jason, what was that Friday the 13th game, that, that kind of thing. Um it's like uh it's like Trouble in Terrorist Town. Okay. 
or at least I've been told it is. I've never played Trouble in Terrace Town, but that's what everyone always compares it to. Basically, it's John Carpenter's The Thing, basically. I... Where you're all spacemen and one of you is a monster. It sounds perfect. John Carpenter. Yeah, it's it's super fun once when it's when it's like firing on all cylinders. It's a really fun game. Um, it just hasn't quite gotten the love it needs yet. When is uh as as players? When is Escape from New York the game coming out? Produced by. <laughs> I I want that too. I'll get Zag to work on that next. Yes, please. You know, um, you and Zombie have been working on the SDK. This is what everybody everybody oh, yeah. that tuned into the, yeah. this fucking podcast wants to hear about the SDK. Uh. That'll be our closing kind of thought, unless you have something else to add afterwards. Sure. The uh, um, so the SDK is currently out in an alpha state. You can get access to it by going to the New Blood Discord, which is discord.gg/newblood. Um, there is a Dusk modding channel there, and that has um pins detailing how you get the SDK and how you use it and all that stuff. Uh, basically, in its form right now, it is. Calling it the SDK right now is maybe a bit of a misnomer because it's not really a development kit. It's more just like this is a different version of Dusk that we're working on that has the ability to load um, load custom stuff and also has <clears throat> excuse me and also has um, assets exposed for people to edit and stuff. It's not finished right now. It can only load levels, textures, and most sounds, not all sounds. Enemy sounds can't be replaced yet, but we're working on that. Um, <laughs> when it is done, like eventually you're going to be able to basically do anything. You're going to have custom scripting. You're going to have networking, which will include co-op. You're going to have, you know, of course, custom levels, custom models. Also, you'll, you'll be able to do TCs to dusk to your heart's content. Um, and also, and this is something you can even do right now you can load in just straight up quake levels or half-life levels and just play them now it doesn't it doesn't work completely seamlessly with half-life yet there's still a lot of work to be done there but it's almost it's almost completely like functional with quake you can literally just load up vanilla quake levels and play through them um and we just need to do some stuff like figure out how we're going to deal with ammo placements and things to make it balanced and also add in a few more entities like lifts and stuff and it's it'll basically be done which is really cool i'm not sure if i've ever played a game that does that that isn't running on the quake engine but yeah you can literally just load up you know e1m1 of quake and play through it with dusk enemies and dusk weapons and dusk movement and stuff yeah some of the videos that have come out of that are already really impressive and i'm looking yeah there's already some people doing some really neat levels too we've got a right now we haven't officially announced that either we're kind of waiting for the alpha to be in a bit better state although it's in a good state right now it's just missing some features and has a few bugs but we'll be announcing the alpha officially at some point here Mm. right now it's mostly just on the dis- you know, we just kind of told people on the Discord, and we're like, hey, get in here and start making stuff. And people have already started making some really cool maps, and of course, done a ton of meme texture and sound stuff, like replacing the rat's idle noise with the Germa's rat song. I think like four people have done that. <laughs> um, and someone's gone in, and they're currently replacing every single... I are they I'm I'm not sure if it's every single enemy texture or literally every single texture. I think it's every single texture they're replacing with Big John. 
Um, yeah. So now the Leathernecks have Big John face, and Mama has like Big John brazier, and like <laughs> it's it's horrifying. Yeah, lots of cool stuff happening there, and it's going to get even cooler. We're going to have workshop support. Um, once it's you know once we do like a full launch of the SDK, it's going to have proper workshop support. It's going to have more tools involved. Um, proper documentation. It's also, it's going to be great. But yeah, if you want to get involved, anyone wants to get involved with that right now um, and start, you know, making levels or messing with textures or things like that, even if you just want to see what dusk textures look like or whatever, it's the way Zombie has it set up is really cool. It's it's just literally all the textures are in a folder and you can edit them and that's how it works. No needing to, like, unpack files or anything. But yeah, if you want to do any of that, you go to discord.gg slash newblood check out the modding channel, check out the pins, uh, ask around if you have any questions and, you know, start making levels basically. You mentioned the, uh, co-op aspects of that in the, in the actual patch notes, you do mention the co-op as well as that this will be the future for dusk world updates as well. Yes. Um, so we, um, I, I hate it for you, man, but we do have to talk about dusk world. Um, <laughs> You've, yeah, no one really plays Duskworld, well, <laughs> which we kind of expected. But but we're in a an interesting uh, crossroads here because yes, no one plays Duskworld. However, I'm in contact with the people who do, and yeah, you know that may be eight people. Um, but we, you know, the keep hosted our own Duskworld tournament. You guys stopped doing uh, duels at dusk. We did a Duskworld tournament. We streamed it. We uh, we had. Brando didn't want to participate for some reason. Like he had already won everything. Brand Flakes. <laughs> yeah. Brand Flakes, I think ended up winning it. And uh, like Simon, I know he'll jump and do a backflip. But if you just say, I grack Simon. I grack Simon. He just did a backflip. You just made that voice ding. Congratulations. Like, <laughs> okay. These are, these are, there's a, a very small niche group of people who just love dusk world and i know it's not worth yeah. it's not worth you guys investing necessarily in and i've I battled with that in my head i've well got, gotten drunk yeah, and cussed at you that. go ahead <laughs> <laughs> yeah let me talk about that for a second they um it's because um, we do know there are there's this little close-knit group of people who play dusk world and that's awesome we love that and if it were possible we would you know, we'd probably be like, oh, screw it, we'll just push out updates for those people regardless. The problem is that um, the realities of game development sometimes do sneak in, even though we try to, at New Blood, we try to avoid them and just make cool stuff. But sometimes they, they seep in anyway, and one of those is that we have limited time and limited resources to put toward a ton of potential updates we could do and a ton of potential things for Dusk. We have, like, I mean, essentially, Scott is the only one who works on Duskworld and also is the one who's going to be doing the Switch port, for instance. Mm -hmm. um, Scott does not have time to do, you know, everything we could possibly do with Duskworld since it's really not, you know, something that that many people play. It's not a big, um, it's not a big seller for the game. Um <clears throat> But we did do some, like, uh, could we ported it over to GOG, which took a long time. Um, it took, like, six months to get Duskworld working um, not on Steam. 
and you know stuff like that. Um, and we're hoping that since the S part of the SDK is we want to have networking in there, and the main reason for that is co-op. Um, we think that co-op dusk could be a huge draw and could be super fun. Mm-hmm. But also the added benefit of that is we'll be able to have dusk world functionality then in the SDK and have it be a lot, uh, a lot more streamlined than it currently is. Because I mean. Essentially, what Dusk World is is it's a fork of the single-player version of Dusk that Scott had to take and try and figure out how to mash multiplayer into. <laughs> and um, I don't envy him that job. I worked a tiny bit on it, and it's horrifying what you yeah, have to it, do. It sucks. Oh. Like, it, it objectively really sucks. And it's not your fault. Like you, you made the weapons and you made the armor system for a single-player game. Yeah. So the so then in the SDK, eventually the hope is that we'll be able to have. Um, networking in there and then have Duskworld just be part of that so that we'd be able to more easily do you know, That's updates the things or or be able to maintain it a lot easier and also have people be able to do custom stuff. That's, like, you know, that's all we want, Dave. Yeah, and then the, the cool part is that I've talked about loading in like Half-Life and Quake Maps and stuff. Um, that's all going to be part of you know, you're going to be able to do that in multiplayer too. You're going to be able to just literally load up Half-Life Deathmatch maps or Quake Deathmatch maps or whatever and play them. Anything that's that format, you know, any mods people have, any maps people have made for those games, anything yeah. like that, you're going to be able to load them in Dusk and play, you know, co-op or um, or just a Deathmatch or whatever on them. Now, the only thing that requires further investigation in regards to that because like custom maps custom modability people it, as long as we can take it over and do whatever we want with it we'll we will figure out a way to make your game like totally like the viable multiplayer game that will happen as long as we have that ability the only thing that requires further investigation is server support uh yeah you mean uh dedicated, dedicated servers? servers yeah we will have that i think don't we already have that? See, so you guys have your own dedicated servers. Oh, I think we haven't released the tool. Well, release it, motherfucker, if you haven't. <laughs> no. I'm trying to... Re- there's some... If we haven't released it, there's some reason for it. So I, but I, I don't I, know what that is. I trust... Seriously, man. I trust you. Like, I know, I know you know what you're doing. I know you guys had the best intention in mind, and you want the best gameplay experience for the people I'm not. Yeah, but we are a hundred percent going to have like that that sort of stuff supported. I just like if if we don't we don't have that tool out now. There's some reason for it, but I just like I said, I can't remember what it was. But um, we know how important that stuff is. The movement system uh, that you made, man, that you made, right? The the crazy bunny hopping and it, stuff. The, the stupid dusk movement system. If it mm-hmm. if it becomes viable within arena first person shooters, and and the community has full modability access and dedicated servers, is gonna be a thing. Like I know it feels so small and so insignificant right now. If it if it becomes available, people are gonna take it and run with it, dude. I just I just really yeah. I felt that way for well over a year, and I'm gonna continue to feel that way until I see it happen. Yeah, I think once there once we have the the experience like more robust where yeah. it's not just jump into Dusk World and play on our servers and our maps, once it's like jump into Dusk World and play whatever maps you want Rivet and play on anyone's servers yeah. and blah blah blah. It's gonna um, be 
it's gonna be epic. I, yeah, I can. Man, I'm not saying like con- don't think of me as a business partner. Think of me as like if you need if you need server help, if you need to be pointed in the right direction of people, I can give you to you know TSPG and they can hook you up with like oh shit, here's the new dust free server support. You can make your own like like it could be happening. It could this could be a big thing. This is a it's not a business pitch. It's a it's mm-hmm. a like I just really believe in what you've done. Pitch. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. With that in mind. So, uh, with that said, man, I'm I'm done uh, messing with you and telling you what to do. <laughs> Not a problem. Do you have anything you'd like to close with? Um, I thank you, everyone, for buying and playing Dusk. It is I am eternally grateful to everyone for that. It has done great things for you know my life and other people's lives. Like I said, eternally grateful. My wife has never played Dusk in her life. Uh, she just knows how important it is to me, and she was excited <laughs> for me to have this conversation with you. And that's yeah, well, you want to know something? My wife has barely even played Dusk. <laughs> She's like, "Nah, I'm not interested." That's awesome. I'm like, okay, thanks, honey. <laughs> She's played like one level. She hasn't even found her own secret. <laughs> she hasn't played far enough. I'm like, uh, but that's the <laughs> that's just that's you know how it works. Your wife is. Or at least my wife is always the one who's like, you're not all that great. I got to keep you down to earth. I'm like, yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> On that note, Dave, uh, you're my hero, man. Seriously. like oh, The game that you created has affected many lives, um, mine included. And on a more personal note than I think you could possibly really know. And I hope that one day you do understand it. Thank you. That's awesome to hear. Um, that's my closing thought. So you can say whatever you want, and we're gonna call it call it a podcast. This has been awesome, dude. Thank you for your time. Yep, no problem. All right, I'm sure David won't mind me using this uh, since he recommended it and I paid for it. So this is an original track from his independent game, The Music Machine. The song's called Forest of Warm Crimson. You can buy his entire discography over on his Bandcamp page, which is linked here in the episode notes. I think it's about $9 for all of it, and there's a lot, so... It's a good purchase if you like chamber music. <sighs> that said, uh, we're about to get out of here. Before we do, I just want to say that if you enjoy this podcast and you want to hear more like it, you can go to quakefans.net forward slash network for links to uh, In the Keep, Doom is Dead podcast, Quakecast, Quake Fans Radio, and much, much more. That's all I got for you this week. Uh, stay tuned next week. It's going to be fucking awesome. But until then, stay in the keep. <laughs>